We're in the book of Matthew this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we've got extras uh, over on the side there. You're welcome uh, to take one of those. And if you don't have one at home, you're welcome to keep it. Take it home with you. Um, and then if you've got uh, the sermon notes, we're going to be going through the notes this morning. There's some fill-ins there to capture some of the things that we're going over. I think we also have extra pins back there, too, if you need a pen. All right, we're in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 17. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. God, thank you for your word. Teach us by it this morning. Amen. All right, I love this fan above me, but it blows my papers away. Here we go. All right, so Jesus, for the third time now, is describing very clearly to his disciples, here's what's about to happen in Jerusalem. The first time was after Jesus gave the the great confession, you are the Christ, you are the Lord, right? And and then after that, the, the... the picture has changed. They are headed towards Jerusalem and everything they're doing. And Jesus is being clear and plain, but they still don't get it. They do not understand what Jesus is talking about. Perhaps because Jesus has used hyperbole in some of his teaching, maybe they think it's just some hyperbole picture. But they do understand there is a kingdom coming. But they don't get what Jesus is saying. As Jesus in verse 17. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. Now they're on their way there, right? 
He took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. I don't know how you get any more clear. They, st they still don't get it, though. Well, then what, what do we see happen immediately following this? They really don't get it. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, sons of thunder, they're called in other places, right? Um, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. Kneeling before him, she asked him for something. Jesus said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. After he just was describing what he's about to do in Jerusalem, I, Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? What is the cup that Jesus is about to drink? He just described it, right? He's about to suffer. Suffer and die for the purpose of the Father. Are you able to drink that cup? You don't know what you're talking about. You want to sit at my right and my left. And, and what's the significance of sitting at the right and left hand of the throne of Jesus? It's, it's, it's power. It's position, right? It's, it's authority. And she's wanting to secure that for her sons. You know, they're two of the three that got to go with Jesus up on the mountain with the transfiguration. Surely they're special. It's not bad for a mom to want the best for her sons. This is normal behavior among us. And Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, yeah, we're able. They have no idea what they're talking about. But notice he says to them, you will drink my cup. They will. We see. The first martyr recorded... Um, among the disciples in, in Acts, when Herod goes and, and captures Peter, it's right after he's killed James with the sword, right? James would be killed by the sword, and, and his brother John, besides having his brother killed by the sword, is ultimately going to end his life in exile, right? That he's going to be exiled to the island of Patmos, where he's given the, the vision of Revelation. They are going to suffer. They don't understand it yet. Say, so you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, oh boy, they were indignant at the two brothers. What are you trying to pull, right? We understand this. This is normal life, right? Other people trying to gain an advantage. Have you ever had someone try to gain an advantage? You probably have. You're like, oh, and, and half of you is going, how could they? And the other half of you is going, man, I should have jumped at that when I had the chance. It's just how we think, right? We, we've got limited trust for those around us because there's always kind of who's in front. That's the normal world we live in. 
you know, I'm glad the disciples weren't perfect because I'm not. Look who Jesus used. And this is James and John. John who's going to write the incredible gospel of John. First, second, and third John. Incredible books. If you, if you don't know the Lord yet, you don't know where to go in the Bible, I, I would direct you to those things that John wrote. It, it just shows the glory of Christ and who He is. Right? And, and who did God use for these people? Those who were just as messed up as I am. They weren't perfect at all. Did they come from perfect families? No, here's a mom trying to... They're just a bunch of clueless kids, and they were kids. And, and even these two, sons of thunder, why were they called that? Well, Jesus called them that, and he knew something about who they were. They were the ones that, that when they were having a hard time finding a place to say they weren't, that they weren't a stay, they weren't being accepted, they're like, Jesus, should we call down fire on them? That was James and John, right? That's kind of how we go about things. We start with heavy-handed, here, we're going to fix everything, we're going to do it our way, and then, oh, yeah, i got to get my position in, in the church or, or, or in God's kingdom. And we're missing everything, missing the point. But God used them. God can use you. He can use me, right? It's not about us coming to Christ perfect and understanding and getting it. We come to Him, and He changes us just like He changed them. So what does Jesus say? Verse 25, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know, uh, we, we've been training Taekwondo, defense lab, mixed martial arts stuff for a while, and, and when you have the kids uh, and you're instructing and you just see there's a problem, you know, they're all holding their hand wrong or they're all doing something wrong, Right? You stop the class and you say, all right, come here. Come here, kids. Let's, let's talk, right? It's, and that's what Jesus is doing here. All right, we've got a problem. Come on. Everybody come here and listen. And this is something we need to listen to as well. You've got the two disciples who are trying to get their place and the rest of the ten that are all upset, wishing they had thought to ask Jesus first. Come here. He calls them to him. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles right? The Gentiles being the world, lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's normal. And that's kind of what they're trying to position themselves to, is who, who's going to be in the seat of authority? Who's going to be the one that's in charge, right? And Jesus says, it shall not be so among you, among his disciples. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're among his disciples. It shall not be so among us. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Servant. That, that's the same word that we get deacon or minister, right? Nowadays, the word in, in our culture and just really over the years, the word minister has kind of taken on a, a, a good connotation, right? It's 
It's a good thing to be a minister. Um, it's just a servant, right? It, in, in, in the Greek, that, that the word's used in different ways, but it's just it's a servant. A servant's not the, the one who's in charge. A servant's the one who's serving. You go out to eat, and it's a servant serving you, right? They're the ones that no one even pays attention to or looks at. Hopefully you do more than that, but it's like all you notice is when your water didn't get filled up, right? Oh, come here, servant, right? It's, it's really, they're there to serve you. That's, they're ministering to you. That's what, that's what ministering work means, and, and ministering is not given just to John and I as pastors. God's design in the church actually is that while we lead by example in what it is to serve, right, to minister, our job is to equip the body, everyone to be ministers, to be servants. We are a body of ministers, of servants, serving one another. And so this is how it's supposed to be among us. If anybody wants to be great, you must be your servant, your minister, your deacon, however you want to translate that. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Doulos, that's a different word. That's just slave. We don't do slaves. They did slaves. They did bond slaves. Peter, Paul, the disciples called themselves bond slaves of Jesus. I'm not just a servant of Jesus. I'm a slave to Jesus. Jesus is redefining how we see things. Here's how it is in the world around you. Here's how it is with governments. Here's how it is with leaders. It is not to be that way. What you understand is normal. It's not to be that way among you. So here's our first point in the notes. In the kingdom of God, Greatness and position are redefined. How you view greatness and position is completely redefined in Jesus' kingdom. And, and among us in his church, it's completely redefined from what it is out in the outside world. And when Jesus does sit on his glorious throne, when he is here ruling on this earth, the definition of greatness and position is going to be different. Who is the GOAT, greatest of all time? Who is the MVP? When my uh, wife was looking at my notes, she said, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> right? But that, that's how we think, right? <laughs> who's the one who's most recognized? Who's in that position? It's so tempting in the church when you have a few of us that stand up front, right? Or play instruments like they did so well up here to lead in worship. It's like, oh, they must be more ahead or more the goat or the MVP or the, right? No, that's not how it is to be among you, Jesus says. The one who's great is the one who's not noticed at all. It's the servant. 
See, what Jesus is teaching us doesn't fit into our normal experience, and we can make a mistake of trying to take what Jesus is teaching us and then fit it into how we see things, right? Well, I'm the most humblest of all. Piety. Look at everyone, look at me, how well I'm serving the Lord. Look, I'm a pastor. That must mean that I am so great. For years of my life, I was a computer engineer. How better I am now that I am a pastor. It is not to be so among you. That doesn't make me great. You see how our natural tendency, though, is to say, oh, no. This person is, that's an MVP in the church right there. He's the pastor. No, it's not how Jesus sees it. Ambitious piety, ambitious humility to gain position and recognition. What is that? That's what the Pharisees were doing. All in outward show. God would rather you go hide in your closet and pour your heart out to him and show him humility, piety, right? Where no one can see. It, it almost seems counterintuitive. To be great, I need to let go of being great. <laughs> to be first, I got to stop trying to be first. I got to rethink what it means. You know, the Bible does tell us one place where we're to compete with one, with one another, right? We're, we're, we're supposed to outdo one another. Here's the place where, where we're supposed to be competing, Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. There you go. You can compete. No, you are greater. No, 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 no. You are greater. That's where you can compete with each other. Honor one another. That should be the... You see how... If you pick... That's, that's not the reality we live in most of the time, Right? Even in, in our closest relationships and in, in our marriages and, and, and among parents and kids. And, but can you see, if that's the normal, that's an environment of blessing. And that's what the normal is going to be when Jesus sits on his glorious throne in this world. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Well, that will be the normal. That's how it will be. That's how it's supposed to be among us. Outdo one another in honor. Philippians 2.3, another great verse. Do nothing from selfish ambition, right? That's not supposed to be what's motivating us or conceit, worrying about what people think about us. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's what we're supposed to strive for is to completely lose sight of what is this and just be totally enveloped in you and you and you and you. and Thankful for the people in your life. God, they're struggling with this sin. Lord, just help them with that. That, that becomes your, 
You're thinking, God, thank you. That you just saw that, that person just is walking in victory in their life in a new way, and, and you're just so excited. God, look at this person who's your child, your precious child. Are we looking at each other that way to the extent that we don't even see ourselves anymore? That's what Jesus wants. Where do we find a perfect example of this? It's in Jesus. Right? And he, give, he, he gives us the example. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And then verse 28, even as the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for me. Talk about greatest of all time, MVP. There's no one greater. I mean, We've got MVP at a cosmic level, Jesus. He, he existed before he became a man on the earth. He already had glory, right? When the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth, is, is prophesying about Jesus coming, it, he's described as, as a servant, as a suffering servant, right? Look, a little tiny piece of Isaiah 53, for he grew up before him. It's like Jesus growing up before the Father. Like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He, he gave up glory to do this for us. And then continue in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. When Jesus gave up the glory he had with the Father to put himself into this position, he was setting an example for us to follow. And what was he accomplishing as he's following the Father's will? That's it. Back in verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to purchase with his own blood the lives of every person who had put their faith in him. We can't enjoy life on our own because we've got sin, right? Wages of sin is death. That's what we have to look forward to. Jesus gave up his glory to become a man who was despised. Remember he, the way he described it already, what he was about to do in Jerusalem, he's doing that. Jesus, the King of kings, the one who, who has every right to glory, is intentionally laying it aside. For us. That's the example we're to follow. So that many. See, true greatness. True position. Is the one who's willing to not be noticed at all. So that others might be saved who would so desire that someone would be lifted up to salvation, lifted up to glory, that would be there uh, on the day when Jesus comes as another child of God, that would desire that so much that they would completely fade into the background. 
They give up their own life so that someone else could be saved. That's true greatness. There are servants of Jesus Christ in this room, in this city, in this world that are changing the world, transforming lives. Not because of what they are accomplishing and becoming great in this world, but because of what they're giving up to serve others so that others might come to know Jesus. There, there are people among us and in this world that, that are overcoming sin, that are, that are finding new life because there's others in their life who are willing to give up themselves, something of themselves to invest And, and to just help each other to know Christ more, to lift up that person, to say, no, you, you're not defined by the old person that you were because you're new in Christ. And, and there's people sacrificing, and we're going to see that. I think we're going to be totally surprised at what we see when Jesus sits on his glorious throne because what the Bible tells us is that there's going to be reward. There's going to be evidence in that thousand years of what was hidden now, there are servants now who are giving up being known at all. We will never know who they are. Only God knows who they are. But when that time comes in the thousand years, there will be such a glory around them. We're just going to rejoice at what God was doing in hiding in this world, in this time. And as servants... We're not trying to gain a position or recognition in this world in this time, but we look forward to a future glory. Jesus, as the perfect suffering servant, transformed the world, and now he is working through his servants to continue to bring life where there's death, to bring light where there's darkness in this world. So greatness and position in the kingdom are completely redefined. Praise the Lord. Well, Jesus, actually here in Matthew, surrounding this mother's request, James and John, and even within it, Jesus is giving us a living example of what he means, of how we are to live, how it is supposed to be among us. So before and after, before Jesus is describing going up to Jerusalem, afterwards Jesus heals two blind men. And we're going to see Jesus is giving us an example in both cases of how we are to live. And so I want to get two things out of this for us as we want to be a kingdom of servants. We are a kingdom of servants, right? Servants of Jesus Christ, but those who serve each other, who serve our community. What are two things we can pull from this on, on practically what it is to be a servant of the kingdom? Well, look back in verse 17. 
Jesus describes what's about to happen. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests. And he's adding even more detail. And we have a, even a, a, a clue here that there's going to be a betrayal. And that the betrayal will be to the chief priests and the scribes. And that there's going to be a judicial process and they will condemn Jesus to death, right? Uh, there's a lot of detail that comes out of what he's saying. And deliver him over to the Gentiles. He will be tried then before the Gentiles, delivered over to them to a Roman crucifixion, to be mocked and flogged. I mean, it, even the details that, that he would be mocked. Everything that, that occurs... Right? They would mock him as king of the Jews, flog him, and crucify him on a Roman cross. And then he will be raised on the third day. He is the suffering servant. And, and certainly in that is an example to say, as a servant, it can mean giving up your own life. Maybe giving up your life is giving up your time. Right? Every mom, as you give up your time and you give up your life to raise your kids, that's a big deal. Right? You're being a servant to your kids. And if, and if you think of what's pleasing to the Lord, you can know that even as you serve them now as unto the Lord, there's going to be reward for that. Right? It, whatever situation God has put you in, we are to be servants Servants don't talk about their own rights. <laughs> Slaves don't talk about their own rights. Certainly Jesus was giving up his own life for us. But notice, he knows before he's ever stepped foot in Jerusalem, every detail of what's about to happen. There is no surprises. The Father is directing every step of the way. And here's what's true in our lives as well. We may not see it, but when you are serving God, He is directing every step. And it might mean going before a Roman guard. It might mean being crucified. It might mean losing the things that you have. It might mean pain. It might mean suffering. And actually, Jesus promises, if you're going to follow me, you're going to experience some of the same things that I experienced because this world is against me. It will be against you. And, and there's no guarantee, one person to the next, what that's going to be like. But here's something we can be sure is God knows and God controls, and God has a purpose in every detail along the way. Jesus knew. But as servants of Christ, we may not know, but we can know that God knows. And here's something true about servants of God, kingdom servants. And here's the next point. A kingdom servant trusts God. This is vitally important. This is foundational for being able to walk as a servant in a world that is corrupt. 
And even among us in the church, we deal with sin. You can't trust sinfulness. Sinfulness is, is what, what causes backbiting and slander and going around to, to gain advantages, right? That, that's, that's sin. How can I serve in an environment where sin is there, where trust is broken? It's because my trust is in God who controls the future, who knows the future. And as I trust Him in serving others, I don't have to worry about taking care of my position. God is taking care of that, right? I don't have to secure my place because He is the one who sets my place. I don't have to protect my interests because I've given up my interests to be His interests. John, in our worship time, was talking about surrendering everything to the Lord. That's where this is. Trusting God is surrendering it all. It's, what am I holding on to? Before I can serve others, I have to serve God and trust Him. And then I'll be in a place, oh, a place of blessing and rest. It's on your welcome sheet, Isaiah 26.3, Right? You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's the life of a servant of God. That's the life of one who gets up every morning with a purpose to serve others. That's foundational. If you're not in a place yet of trusting God, if, you don't, if you're not able to draw near to God to open his word and say, God, okay, I, I need to be fed by you. I need to be directed by you. I need to be corrected and, and guided by you. Then, then you're not ready actually to go out and be a servant to others because to truly be a servant, you've got to give up your own rights. You've got to give up your own agenda. All right. Let's look at the last part. Jesus heals two blind men. So they headed towards Jerusalem, leaving Jericho. As they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? I looked. Jesus doesn't ask this question anywhere else, and I think there's a connection here. Anywhere else other than his response to James and John when they came to him, what what do you want? Right? The Gospel of Mark, it's exactly the same, these two. What do you want me to do for you? This is the question of a servant. This is an example. Not what can I do for you. What can I do for you has the implicit message of, well, in my schedule, with my resources, 
and, and all of the, just the, the weight of different important things that are demanding of my time and attention, with what's left, what can I do to help you? Right? That's, that's normally how we think. But Jesus doesn't ask that. What do you want me to do for you? Right? And that's our, that's our last point. The servant of the kingdom asks, what do you want? And not in a negative way. Right? How you ask, it changes. What do you want? No. What do you want? I'm going to stop just for a moment in my life, pause the normal thoughts of what I want, and ask the question genuinely, what do you want? But more importantly, what do you want from me? What do you wish that I would do for you that you're not saying? Do we ask that question? No, see, we live in this, in this world of, well, if there's a need that I see, well, now I'm kind of weighing, do I even want to engage in that, right? Uh, you know, I've got to be careful with my time. I've got to be careful with my resources. Jesus certainly had some important things he was in the middle of, like going to Jerusalem to save the whole world. I'd say on the, the balance of things, that was pretty important. You're going to stop Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He's got more important things to do. The crowds. No, don't. Don't stop Jesus. You know, th that can also be for us too. We have family and friends saying, no, no, that's not the right thing to do. Don't, don't waste your time on that. Or no, there's more important things you need to focus on. Don't stop and help that person. Don't serve that person. Why are you doing that? That's, that's destroying you. That's taking the life out of you to help that person. But Jesus wants us to completely change how we think. A servant, a slave, does not first consider their own needs. Their only question is, what is it that you want from me? And you see how important it is that we have the first part down, trusting God? Am I going to be taken advantage of? I might be. Jesus was. Am I going to suffer? He said, I will, if I follow him. It's a completely different way of thinking. And, and even take it into our closest relationships. We're still guarded, right? My friend has a need. My brother, sister in Christ has a need. My spouse has a need, right? It's funny. We still do this. It's like one of us, we get home at the end of the day, it's like, oh, I'm so tired because I did this, 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 this. Well, what's the first response? Then I say, I'm so tired because I did this. I'm in my world. She's in her world. How about for one moment I stop thinking and comparing how tired I am to how tired she is and just say, what do you wish I would do for you, right? I'll rub my feet. 
make dinner tonight, whatever it is. As a servant, I'm completely, if I'm acting as a servant, Lord, help me. I'm not even thinking about what I need or the limits of what I can do. My only question is, what do you want from me? That's what Jesus asked. What do you want? That's a scary question. Ask your spouse, ask your friend, honestly. Ask a coworker, someone who's working for you, or maybe your boss. And we're, we're protecting our, our own interests, but what if for a moment I just, I just trust God with my own interests and honestly ask the question, what do you wish? I mean, we don't even tell each other what we really wish the other person would do. But how is it to be among us to serve each other? First among you is the one who puts themselves into a place as a slave, who doesn't even know their own interests, but is constantly looking at the interests of others. How can I serve you? How can I help you? What a blessing that comes in the church when, when we're doing that. And I've seen it in this church, and I love it. How is the church doing? It's not, it's not based on is John and I doing the ministry well. We should be doing the ministry. We should be caring. We should be praying. We should be reaching out when there's a need. But the church is not healthy because John and I are doing that. Church is healthy when the whole body is asking each other and, and investigating and, and thinking, how can I serve my brother and sister? And it results in blessing. Beyond what I can do, well, I'm not trusting my own strength. Trusting God. Beyond what I can provide, I'm not trusting my own provision. I'm trusting the provider. Right? In, in everything, trusting God first. I get so, I get so preoccupied with my own things. I'm only half listening when my son comes in the door explaining a need that he has. It's like, I'm busy over here, and I'm kind of tuned in. My wife comes in. Some, she knows me better. She'll start to speak and stop. And then my eyes come around, my head comes around. Ah, I got your attention, right? We get so preoccupied with ourselves. We don't even fully listen. What if, what if for a moment we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you with all those concerns, those pressing concerns, those things like, you know, trip to Jerusalem, that's so important to happen right now. You know, just trust you, Father, with every step of the way and, and actually invite the interruptions because I'm going to see the interruptions as the Father guiding my day, guiding what's happening. What do you need? What do you want that I can do for you? Right? What do you want that's bigger than what I can do, do for you? But maybe that's what God wants me to, to try. When we start dealing with time, 
Boy, we guard it. We deal with money. We guard it. We deal with our things. We guard it. What if we just give all of that to God? God, I want to change my life. I'm going to reorder my life. Start this whole thing over. I'm going to live as a servant and just trust you with everything. You know, you can do that. You're free to do that. Actually, you're encouraged to do that in the Lord. I'm going to to think of all this differently now. I'm not just in it to make it. I'm in it to serve. That's how Jesus wants it to be among us, and that's how it will be in his glorious kingdom. Well, since the confession of Peter, Jesus has been trying, well, he has been speaking clearly. Here's what's about to happen. And he's been telling them about the future glory in the kingdom. And they're trying to take their picture of what a kingdom is and project that on what this future kingdom is going to be. Oh, who's going to be at your right and left? Who's the greatest, right? Completely missing the glory, the joy, the amazing blessing that's going to come with the kingdom. And even now among us, we can live that way as kingdom servants. If you don't know Jesus, then you're not part of the kingdom. But the whole reason Jesus came as a servant to suffer and die is so that we could have life, so we could be included in a kingdom that's not our kingdom, it's His. All He says to do is to turn to Him. Trust God, trust Jesus. Give up your hold on, I can make it, I can do this. Say, no, God, I can't. I'm a sinner. I sinned against you, and I don't deserve your kingdom. But I believe you sent your son to die for my sin so that I can have life, and I can live each day trusting you, following you. That throne in your heart that John talked about, Jesus, I want to invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. Be Lord of my life. That's it. Your life will be changed forever. And as those who have invited Jesus into our lives every day, this is an exercise for us to do, to say no. Whether I I follow him that day or not, he's with me. His promises, he has secured me, right? There's nothing going to change that. I am his child. That's adoption papers are signed, sealed, right? It's, it's done. But every morning I still have a choice to take up my cross. What is that? Sacrifice self. Nope. My wants, my desires, my agenda for today, those things that are due even, those things that will keep my job, those things that are necessary for me to survive, all of that I surrender to you, Lord. You're Lord of my heart. What would you have me do first? Serve him first. And then just walk in the blessing of that as he guides and directs us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the life that we have in you. You are worthy. 
You are the king. You are the one who, who suffered and died for us. You are the one who gives us life, abundant life, if we only trust you. Help us, God, to, to let go of things that we've been holding on to too tightly, that we've been worried about, that we've been concerned about. Lord, you gave up your very life so that others could live. Lord, let that be our concern. Let that be our desire. That our purpose wouldn't be to just secure a place for ourselves here or in the future but it would be to serve others, to love others just as you did. That requires supernatural power. And you've given that to us. We have it by your Holy Spirit. We just got to trust you. So help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to lay things down. Maybe today, Lord, is a day that, that a lot of us just need to have a fresh start. God, I want to I live as a servant. Rethink this thing. If that's you, just give that to the Lord as we sing. Give that to the Lord now. God, I, I want to start this over. Rethink how I order my life. I want it to begin with you, to end with you. Throughout the day, to be guided by you enjoying fellowship with God as I live out a life of a servant. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
been faithful. He is faithful. He will be faithful. We can trust that. I am so thankful for you, church. There's a glory in every little bit of service that you do, whether it's noticed or not. And I love that I can notice some of it. It doesn't change that there's a glory to it. Every person who opens their home, every person who gets here early to do something, every person that, that just texts someone else to say, I'm praying for you, Every little thing that we do that we're serving the body, there's a glory to that. It's going to come out when we are with Jesus and he's sitting on his glorious throne. I'm just thankful God has brought each of you here. He has so much more for you to do, for you to experience, for you to love. There's ways you can get connected. If you're not connected, you've got to be connected. It's part of God's plan. There's a glory to that. When that you're able to impart to others and they're able to do to you, there's a, there's a group me. If you're not on the group me, I haven't said that in a while. A lot of prayer requests come out. Every time someone is on there, even just, that's all I ever do is click the little heart thing on there whenever someone posts something. That's encouragement, right? That's, that's the body. Any way that you can find, whether it's noticed or not, that's meaningful to God. Keep doing it and do it more. I love you, church. Go in the Lord.